You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Federal Premium Ammunition and their new Centerfire Rifle Ammunition Terminal Ascent. Now, the Terminal Ascent has a slipstream polymer tip that helps flatten trajectories and initiates low-velocity expansion at longer ranges. The Terminal Ascent gives you match-grade long-range accuracy in a bonded hunting bullet and it comes in a variety of cartridges including the 6.5 creedmoor the 280 ackley improved the 28 nosler the 7 millimeter remington mag 30-06 and the 300 win mag if you want to find more information about the terminal ascent visit federalpremium.com and while you're there check out it's federal season the official podcast of federal ammunition Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast, powered by Sportsman's Nation, where we celebrate the hunting and fishing lifestyle through the utilization and consumption of our wild game. No egos. Fork in hand, beer in the other. No status. A piece of red meat on a hot grill and turn it into a burnt offering. Just catch it, cut it, cook it. This is episode 57, a fifth quarter highlight, liver. You're invited to a little fireside chat with Nick as he unpacks a few opportunities with the liver. Starting out, he debunks some of the misconceptions of liver and its makeup and transitions into prepping the organ for a delicious meal. Have a sore spot for liver from the past? Nick also offers a couple recipes that might just bring liver back into your diet and leaving less out in the gut pile. Excellent food for thought and informative episode coming at you. Well, hey, folks. Welcome. It's a beautiful morning this morning. Got up early. Um, Today is the 24th, I believe, of September. We are seven days out from the Michigan Whitetail Archery Season opener. By the time this launches, I believe it's going to be two days. So we are right here at the cusp of excitement right now. I believe everybody is in a fever pitch as far as trying to last-minute adjustments and making sure that uh, they got all their equipment ready to go and that they're looking on their computers or on their phone at the potential hunting sites, checking cameras. Everything right now has come to a crescendo for the opening here in October one. 
I can tell you that's going to be my only day that I'm going to be able to get out is the actual opener. The weekend has been stolen away from me, but nevertheless, we will uh, not worry about that. We're going to see if we can't do a home run here on the opening day, have myself a meat dough down on the uh, on the ground and uh, able to take that. Why didn't I take one in early antlerless? Well, again, hijacked that weekend. We had a wedding. Um, not only that I was in, but we had to be there at. So it was one of those things that uh, you just have to you just have to bide your time. And I think each year we, as hunters, kind of fall into this thing of it's it's a huge thing for us, but yet the rest of the world may not be even watching what's going on. So anyway, there's my ramble. But uh, today, a little bit different of a uh, of a segment here. No guest, just me and you, just a fireside chat, and we're uh, we're going to talk about the fifth quarter. I know I was talking to Jared and James on the Boga podcast, and I mentioned the term fifth quarter, and both of them looked a little bit confused. And so for anybody that may not be familiar with that reference, the fifth quarter is everything that's not associated with the traditional cuts off of an animal. We're talking hide, we're talking hooves, head, and then we get into the inside of it where it's the gut or the pluck or the awful. Uh, That's the technical term, not awful, A-W, but awful, O-F-F-E-L. And that refers to, yeah, everything on the inside that comes out. Also found that uh, the term fifth quarter was kind of picked up uh, by the Romans. So over there in Italy, quinto quarto is the term given to that that piece of meat there, the basically pulling out the innards, which literally means fifth quarter. And I thought that was a really cool piece of trivia there that uh, the Romans were the one that actually uh, picked that up from their animals. Each quarter uh, in Roman society had a designation on on where it was going to go, um, where it be like the best of the the best quarters would go to the the higher up. And then the uh, the workers would get the the next one, and then there would be the quinto corto, and I think that referred to either a lot of relegated for just the high nobility. And you would think like, well, wait, this seems to be the least desired uh, of all the cuts. Well, today, yeah, it's the least desired. It's not the backstrap. It's not the prime cuts. But at the same time, these cuts, these pieces hold some of the most nutrient-packed pieces of meat that there are. When you when you start talking about the inside, this is just stuff that uh, even wild critters, this is the first thing that they go for. When when an animal goes down, they're they're working to get inside of that chest cavity. They're working to, in, to get inside of that gut to get at the liver, to get at the heart, to get at the lungs first. Because not only is that the most nutrient-packed, it's also the first... Uh, to probably go and spoil. And so having these is like a treat that we've kind of missed out on. Like I mentioned earlier, the the awful is uh, from all the organs. And then if you talk to generations before us, this was regular day practice, that either animals slaughtered on a homestead, the whole animal would be utilized nose to tail. And instead of just going to a rendering plant, folks would enjoy heart. Folks would enjoy liver, kidneys, spleen, 
and even the lungs. Now, here in the United States, I also found that uh, the reason we don't have haggis everywhere is because the FDA or the the Food Administration is uh, not happy about the lung issue. So that's why we don't have haggis, or at least if we've got haggis, it's going to be lung free. That was just a. I need to dig more into what's going on there and why we can't import the haggis or bring the haggis over here. I'm sure if you used your own uh, lungs, you'd be good, but I don't know where to go with that yet. So uh, stay tuned when it comes to hag. So there's kind of like the direction that we're going. We're going to be talking about the fifth quarter. We're going to be talking about pieces inside of that gut that we pull out. And only recently has that been a real resurgence, I want to say lately, into using more uh, from our animal. And I'm a firm believer in that this is a gift that we've been given. So when I harvest a deer and it goes down, my immediate reaction is, of course, you're going to have a bit of that hunter's remorse. You're going to be thinking about, oh, my goodness. Like, even though you've done this time and time again, there's still that gut feeling of, wow, what have I done? But then there's also the sense of thankfulness. And I was talking to another friend about this, Steve Crawford, with the Chasing Legends podcast. And that idea that my thankfulness comes from the Lord that I just took this animal's life. It walked in front of me. I'd done a bunch of preparation. I had done my due diligence as to being um, sufficient with a bow and, and able to bring this animal down. And now it's that time of thankfulness. And I want to be thankful for this animal giving its life. I, I don't even want to say giving because I just took it. Uh, it <laughs> if it had a choice to give or not give, it wouldn't. It would have said, "No, I'm going to run off and eat more corn." But at the same time, like there's a, there's this idea that this animal had to die in order to sustain myself and my family, and so there has to be uh, that thankfulness there. And what I found from that is I've continued to then seek respecting the animal and to make sure that I'm being thankful for the animal that I'm using more of that animal. The Lord even says that, you know, when when you show thanks, like more blessings will be uh, brought upon you. And I, I don't have that reference for me right now. But I apologize for not having that ready to go. But the idea is, is that as I as I look at this and I respect the animal, I begin to use more pieces of it and to find more ways to use it. And I find more delicacies and more dishes off of just this one deer. So it's not that the Lord is then bringing more deer in front of me. That's, that's not the idea. That's not how he works. But by me being conscious of what kind of gift that I have and that I use it to the best of its, um, the best of my ability, I'm able to extend that deer's uh, life in my freezer. I don't want to say necessarily he's living in my freezer, but at the same time, I am able to incorporate that deer into more dishes and more ways to nourish my family that because I took that reverence for that life, it's been able to be basically compounded upon exponentially. So again, all that to be said, we've got a highlight this week in our fifth quarter, and we're going to be focusing on the liver. Taking a reference from one of my favorite, and I'm sure it's a Midwest uh, cult classic, and that is Escanaba in the Moonlight. There's a quote, put on the lard and onions, 
I'm going to gut you a buck. And that's referring to probably the liver, a liver that uh, we're, we're all familiar with. When we've gutted a buck, when we've gutted a doe, when we've gutted an animal, actually any animal, we are, we are presented with, yeah, the intestines are probably the first thing that we see, but then that large first organ that show, <clears throat> shows up is the liver. That liver, in many cases, is a large organ. It's a pretty predominant piece of organ that's inside of that cavity that takes up a lot of space, a lot of weight, and there's a lot of investment into that organ. We ourselves, in our you know basic understanding, have always thought like, all right, you know, the liver is just a filter for your uh, your blood, and then it holds all the the toxins back. Yes and no. And I think that's also led us to think that the liver was not only a, a filter, but a sponge, and that it would hold all of that. From there, we get this bad notata- uh, notation that the liver is going to be toxic, that the liver is going to be holding all those impurities, the toxins, the uh, oxidations, everything, free radicals, everything that's inside of that body that we've been trying to get rid of is just stored inside that liver. And that is false. I want to be able to, to highlight that, yeah, I did a quick research, on, and it brought me to three different um, medical journals online. I don't have those names in front of me again. Man, I would not be doing well if this was a college paper or a college presentation because I'm just going to basically say, hey, if, if you're really interested and you want to double-check me, please do. Please do. I don't want to put out any misinformation at all. So double-check me on that and uh, bring it to my attention. But anyway, from my three journals that I found, they do say that, hey, it's the, the organ, the liver, is a part of filtering out the blood, but it's not running, it's not like a, a car engine oil filter where everything has to pass through this sieve and it acts or it just gets put through there. But the liver itself is a factory of enzymes and hormones that then as the blood passes through, this stuff is applied in, and then it goes back into the stream. And basically, it uses these enzymes and hormones to filter out the blood. So it's a factory, not a dump site. It is a working working organ, or working organ that is producing, not holding in. And the fact that the liver holds all the blood in there to get, to get it to go back around, and then it shoots out, it is one of those things that people then think, well, that's where that's where everything is stored. And that that is not true. Is the liver going to be having something that you want to eat a ton of? Well, it's going to go back and forth on that. The liver is such a nutrient-dense organ. Because of all the work it has to do, because of all these um, DNA processes and enzymes that it's producing, like it's got to have a lot of nutrient in it to be able to make these compounds that then go and do the work. So you're looking inside of a liver, you're looking at a lot lot of vitamin B12, vitamin A, riboflavin, copper, all these micronutrients that our body really needs. You know, we talk about when we throw out a a mineral lick or something for deer, we've talked about that idea of the deer are only going to get as big as what their nutrient low is. So even though we want deer to get bigger in the case of like a QDMA or guys that are really trying to um, ramp up the size of their herd, 
they're going to be using these mineral licks, if as long as they're legal, to get the nutrient base up. And at that point, they're able then to digest more food. They've got every micronutrient they need so that they can put into healthy bodies, so they have healthy fawns, healthy does, and then ultimately bucks that can grow antlers because the antlers are a sign of health. And so the healthier the deer are, potentially the the uh, the racks will get bigger. So now we look at our cells and how much have we pulled out of our cells. We're, we're forgetting the mineral lick. And we've, we've, we've got this liver in front of us packed with all these micronutrients that help our body work, that we have a, a storehouse here. And to eat a lot of it, I think at once, if anybody's eaten liver, and I'm sure that's going to be majority of you live, or listening here, where you've tried it once and maybe you haven't gone back. Also, the other flip coin, you've tried it once and then you've never stopped. It's been one thing you just keep going for and going for and going for. But when you eat the liver, it really is a boost of all of those micronutrients. Actually, as I was preparing for this episode, there was the episode released uh, by Meat Eater, the mothership there, and they're talking with Carnivore MD, and his his idea is he was making these. Uh, he's got a a company that makes not denatured, but anyway, dried. Basically, yeah, ground up and dried organs into pills. And you can take these pills. And what he was inferring that, hey, you're going to get a buzz off that pill. You take that pill and you're going to get a buzz, not because of necessarily what they've put in the pill, but what's in the liver. And when you're given a boost of all of that micronutrients, your body immediately wants to be optimized, or at least it's becoming optimized. Processes go quicker. Energy um, transmission from food in order to be glycogen or glucose goes quicker, and your body is able to then handle that on a DNA level much, much better. And so you get almost this buzz off of it. So I don't think you necessarily want to eat a lot of it all to once. It's super, super rich. Like I said, not only in nutrients, but in flavor. Flavor, too, is either one that people either love it or hate it. It has that spongy texture that can, I think, can turn people off. Like myself as well, as a young kid, I was giving things in a improper way. I mean, proper in the sense that it was cooked, but at the same time, you know, I had, I didn't like beets for the longest time because I was always given steamed beets. I tell you, you want to ruin a day, steam your beets. <laughs> and it's, it's from that, I think, that folks then didn't get a chance to have a quality uh, experience with liver. And I've got a couple folks that I'm going to be referencing here later as well that have that exact same mentality or they had that exact same experience that you know we tried it once and it didn't go well but I encourage you that as hunters even as anglers there's some fish where you've got the liver inside of that that we could do something with I encourage you to try it again if you're adverse to it but at the same time if you're also a, if you're already a lover of liver we need to hear about it I would love for you to message in, tell me about it, uh, check our email out, uh, or just find us on um, 
on social media, I want to know about your liver dishes because liver is something that probably about five years ago I jumped in and started having, and it's been it's been great. It's been wonderful to incorporate that into my uh, my own cooking. It's something new and different. So what I've done is basically for this short episode is I'm basically going to highlight the liver. We're going to get into now how we're going to prepare this liver. There's also, uh, I don't want to say necessarily a debate, but there's two minds uh, working here as far as how to leach out the blood. But I've got my liver in front of me. I've pulled it out of the animal, and I need to remove the connective tissue that's all the way around it. Um, holding those lobes together, they are they are uh, contained, but if you flip it over, there is a quote-unquote veiny side and those vessels and veins need to come off that's what goes in into those lobes into the liver and that's what helps transmit the blood and there's also a section where the gallbladder is at and it holds the bile and you make sure you need to pinch and separate that gallbladder off just like with everything on there i'm sure there's someone who can tell me what to use the gallbladder and the bile for that is not the episode that we're talking about today. I'm not sure where we're going with that. So for the time being, we're going to pinch and pull uh, and use a blade for that to get that gallbladder off. Try not to uh, bust that because that bile is some potent stuff. Uh, that's kind of what that's part part of where those uh, enzymes are made in order to either detoxify the blood or to be able to render out fat or to render out some sort of uh, chemical compound that's going through those vessels. So let's keep that inside, cut that off, and discard that for the time being. Now we got to get into our cleaned, uh, cleaned liver here. We need to leach out the blood. Because this is a large, spongy-ish organ, there's going to be a lot of blood incorporated that. And Doing an overnight 24-hour soak is going to help be able to leach that blood out. And the two minds, or the two uh, two ways that are working on this is soak it in milk, and the other is to soak it in a brine or a basically saltwater uh, mix. It doesn't have to be strong. We're not looking to do a lot of work here on this one, but you just want to have a salty uh, brine that you, able, that you dunk the whole thing in. And then you just let it do its work. So I was talking to a couple people, and, and we're going to hear from Jonah here in a minute. Last episode, I talked with Jonah Curtis um, on, on down on his farm, his homestead, about his garden. And just as we got done with our episode, I saw that he posted something back on his Instagram, and it was liver and onions. And I'm like, perfect. This is the guy who I need to talk to because he's got his own rendition of this dish, and I want to make sure that I get his input on what's going on. And so I talked to him about milk. Why? Where did milk come from, and why is it that milk is what things are soaked in? And his answer was basically, uh, well, that's what we've always done. That was, he goes, you just treated liver uh, with milk, giving it a good soak. Could have something to do with, they mentioned a little bit of the milk being not alkaline, but acidic. At the same time, milk is fairly fairly neutral. I don't think it's acidic enough to, to really cause anything to happen. And I don't want to say that pH is necessarily at work. One of the sites that I got onto, again, I, I didn't keep the reference. I'm a, terrible at doing that. 
But the one reference mentioned that because of the calcium in the milk has a reaction with the iron in the liver, that there's a drawing effect there, that those two elements combine. Not sure what compound they make, but it's kind of like maybe like plating where you can plate something by running uh, electricity through the water and you can basically copper plate something or chrome plate something um, just by with this current. And maybe this is what's going on here is not necessarily with electricity, but having the uh, lactose and calcium has some sort of attraction to the iron and as that's able to leach it out of uh, out of the liver along with pulling out the iron pulling out the blood as well because um, the two are, are one and the same maybe and I you know it's been around for a long enough time and enough people use it and say it works that how, who am I to say that it doesn't but that that little magic uh, happens um, for over about 24 hours the route that I personally go is I like the brine idea of the water and salt, maybe because I can wrap my mind a little bit more around that one. And I've just never wanted to soak meat in milk. Uh, buttermilk on occasion for like fried chicken or you know, fried pheasant, but at the same time, like it, it's only merely for like the coating, I would say. Not much of the tenderization at that point. But for the brine, Using that salt water, I can see how you're creating a salty environment on the outside. And you've got a high concentration of water, H2O, on the outside. And so what's going to begin to happen is from your high school uh, biology and high school science classes, we know that diffusion and osmosis is going to happen. And that's where water is going to pour into those, I shouldn't say pour, it's going to transfer into those cells. And by those now beginning to get more and more water, things need to be expelled. And there's going to have to be this leveling of uh, substances. So as more water goes in, as more salt goes into the liver, something's got to get kicked out, and that's where we're going to get that blood and that iron, and it's going to kick out, and that purge that's going to be left in the water. So you're going to see either the milk or the brine begin to turn pink, and that's a good thing because we want to pull out all that blood. Blood necessarily isn't going to hurt you very much, but at the same time, for creating a dish that's going to be something that we want to go back to, high iron seems to have a big problem with people. There might be something along the lines, too, of the grittiness, that if there's more blood in the liver, maybe that makes your liver more gritty. I've had several people talk about that on these online forums, but nothing to really base it on. So, I don't know. You know, it is what it is. But the idea is you're going to want to leach out that blood, whether it's with their milk or whether it's the brine. Now we can get into our dishes here. The first way we can get uh, liver into something, this is, works out really well if you are a little bit hesitant on the whole liver idea. I love that, there, that it's nutrient-packed, uh, Nick. I love that we got... Um, a ton of, you know, we can get, get a lot of flavor out of this and it can be something good. I'm not ready to just mow down on a lobe of this liver. How can I use it? 
And this is something that I have done and I have found really helps out um, with my Thanksgiving dressing and stuffing is merely incorporating it into something else. So when I get a, a big turkey for Thanksgiving and get it prepped, ready to go for the oven, I'm letting those drippings uh, work themselves down in the bottom of that pan because that's going to be then incorporated into my gravy and into my stuffing. I'm not a stuffer. I don't like to put anything inside the bird. Well, I do do like onions and apples. That's probably what I put in. And they'll eventually go into the stuffing. But I'm not putting all the breadcrumb and, and everything on the inside of that bird. I want the I want to focus on the bird doing what it's supposed to be doing. And that's supposed to be cooking and staying moist. I know there's going to be a lot of people that are going to tell me, hey, hey, you got to stuff it. You got to stuff it. This is the way to go. Understandable. I'm not a stuffer. And from that, I then create my stuffing on the outside. So after my bird has been uh, cooked, I'm able to to get those trimmings to get the or excuse me the drippings off that in order to create my uh, my stuffing at that point. So I've got the normal uh, breadcrumb herb mix. I got a lot of sage in there, a lot of onion. Take you know, even the the cooked onion and the apple that was inside the bird. That's going to go into my stuffing. But then that awful. The, with the O. So I'm talking gizzard, heart, and then now the liver. All of that's going to be coming out and going into basically my cutting board, and I'm going to chop it up. And at this point, I'm chopping it up raw and getting it into a fine chop and incorporating that all into my mix. I have found that I get a savoriness on my, dr- my dressing and my stuffing that I normally wouldn't get if that was not incorporated. And it's not a point where it's like jarringly apparent. Like you don't just see like a big chunk. I make sure to, to cut it fine enough. But it just does, it offers a bit of richness into your stuffing that knowing that you put it in, you enjoy it. And you say, you know what, I, I think this is the liver and this is the heart talking here out of this dish. Whereas someone who may not ever want those pieces have no idea that it's in there. There, you know, you get the compliments. Oh, this is such good dressing. Good. I'm glad you enjoy it. So that's one way in order to incorporate uh, stuff or the, to incorporate liver into your dishes. The other way is uh, a. I want to make sure I get this right. Is a bolognese, and it's basically like a meat sauce. And so when you're making spaghetti, you got like two kinds of sauces. You got your regular marinara, and then you have your meatballs. But you could also add the meat or or brown the meat, add the sauce into it, and have that already mixed together. I guess technically that's referred to as a bolognese. Uh, Jared, you went to culinary school. Double check me on that. Make sure that I'm getting that right. But anyway, from that, if I'm incorporating meat, why not put a fine dice on liver there and pour that into uh, the sauce? This would be an awesome way to get my kids to have uh, the liver because, A, you couldn't see it, you can't really taste it, and there's enough masking it that it can be in your diet and not even know about it. Now, I just mentioned the bolognese, but we're, we're leaving out the meatball. The meatball would be a perfect vessel for that. You've already got a binder in that as a breadcrumb or a cracker crumb that throwing in a fine chop of of liver into your meatballs would be also a great way to use that liver up. So now we're getting to something a little bit more in your face, and that's the classic 
liver and onions. The classic liver and onions is just how it says. There's you fry up some liver, you sweat down some onions, and you put them together. Uh, talking with Jonas or Jonah, he uh, man, I get Jonas in my head. I'm listening to too much Weezer, I think. But anyway, talking with Jonah, uh, from over there at at Hunt to Eat, he's one of those ambassadors there. I I messaged him and said, hey. I see that you've got your liver and onions. Talk to me a little bit about it. How do you make yours up? Tell me a little bit about what you've got going on. And uh, and this was his response. This was pig, but I'm down with most, with pig and deer. I take as much skin, quote-unquote, off as I can. That is more of an issue with the deer than the pigs. So apparently on the rind of deer, it's going to be a little thicker. If you wanted to slice that off, that might be something as you're prepping your your liver, maybe take a, take a gander at the outside of it. If that, if that rye needs to come off, that might be good. He goes on to say, I slice it about a quarter inch thick and soak it in milk. He's a milk soaker and in the refrigerator for a, for a few hours to a day. Drain and toss, uh, coat in Drake's mix. Ooh, he goes with the Drake dry mix looks like, well, it could be, uh, could be wet mix as well. Pan fry and cast iron and, and season after. Simply cutting, or yeah, simple seasoning. He likes Tony C's or Lawry's. Lots of onions, fried in butter. I tell you, you can't get more simple and more homey than just that. Is that going to be pretty much in your face? Yes. You're going to be looking at quarter cut pieces of of liver that are there. I think you're going to be surprised at the texture. Because as it sears up in that pan... It is going to crisp it on the outside, but I think the inside also kind of stiffens a bit. I think it's like a soft steak. It would really be a soft, steaky piece of meat, and even though it's a it's an organ. It's not a not a working muscle. But I've never been turned off by by necessarily this dish alone. How many times have I had it in my Pre-hunting years, I, I didn't have it very much, only since being a hunter. And I think there's probably a little bit of ownership that's going on there that I'm like, I am going to like this. <laughs> Convincing myself that I am going to continue to use this and I am going to continue to like this. And so that's where I've really jumped into this dish being a, a go-to uh, for what I need to have happen. But my my addition to my liver and onions, is I make it more into a liver Diane. And I'm referring to like steak Diane, where after you have seared your uh, liver, that you go back and then you actually make a sauce and make it like a cream sauce. Then Then you would incorporate the liver back in. So to jump on with Jonah, like I got him all the way up until where I... I wouldn't use the drakes. I like to just batter mine in flour, like a seasoned flour with a little bit of salt, a little bit of pepper in there. I know those uh, the pepper might get smoked out a little bit, but I put a quick sear on each side of my liver and then pull that off to the side to just kind of hang out and rest. Might it be really spongy in the middle because I've just seared them and I haven't gotten on all the way cook? Yes, but uh, we'll get to that. Now I'm left with a pan with a ton of fond. And fond is basically all those crumbly bits and burnt, or I don't want to say burnt bits, but crispy bits at the bottom of your pan. So I hit that with a little bit of liquor. Probably uh, probably going to go with a brandy or 
uh, cognac if you if you got it. But anyway, toss that in there. A, a good bourbon would I think would also work really well, or in a pinch wine. But the idea is we just wanted to glaze that pan, and that's where that alcohol really helps in. And it breaks up those things that come off the bottom. I then want my sliced onions, and I'm actually going to then take it a step further and go sliced uh, peppers in that. If you got a little bit of heat ones, like a poblano would be really good, just because it's not as intense as a jalapeno. But if you're pulling jalapenos out of your garden right now and trying to figure out what to do with those, I would say throw those right on here. Sliced, I would definitely take the seeds out. But that at that point, we could then soften all the onions and peppers at that point. After they've gotten salt or after they've gotten soft, um, starting to get a little bit more they're not as crunchy. I then throw in throw in garlic. Sliced up garlic, you know, minced up garlic, have a couple cloves of that in there. Let that work its way around. And now we're then going to create the sauce piece. Because I've I've lifted up that fond. It's all now into those those vegetables that are right there. I am then going to either add a touch of stock, depending on how much of the liquor is left. The alcohol's already been lifted away, but now at this point I'm gonna add a little bit of stock to just bring up my level. Let that start to simmer up, pour in some cream, and a good dollop of mustard. Probably going to go the Dijon kind, spicier the better. If you got horseradish, dang, that would be a great pairing right there as well. But drop that in, mix that up, and that's going to start to thicken. As it's thickening, I then pull those liver pieces, put them back in, and coat them with that cream sauce. Taste it. Uh, or taste your sauce, make sure it's right where you want it to be. Salt and pepper to make sure, I I do like black pepper, so I'm probably going to be cracking a bunch of that on there. But after that, at that point, you can then ladle some of that sauce, some of the onions and peppers onto your plate, top with a few pieces of that liver. And I tell you, you've taken a dish that has, it's been very polarizing. You know, you either love it or you hate it. And now you've elevated it. Just a bit that it doesn't look like now just a piece of liver link on your thing, but now it looks as this gorgeous uh, dish that you're ready. So if you're going to want to up your plate game, take your livers and onions to a liver Diane, and I don't think you're going to be too upset with that. Now we're into two recipes that I have yet to do. I currently have a liver on thaw. So at the time of recording, I wasn't ready to give you my absolute... Uh, rendition of these two dishes but at the same time just know that it's going to be pre- I'm going to be preparing that soon and hopefully going to be able to share that on the social media with you but I also got a hold of AJ Fuesco and he is a head chef over at Fork and Hose so if you look up him on Instagram at Fork and Hose the dude is a an awesome chef in fact he was on guys grocery games and I think he won. I think he won the whole thing, uh, which is an incredible thing, A, because he got to be on Guy's Grocery Games. Anytime you get to hang out with a guy, you've already, like, your esteemed status there. On top of that, he's also a firefighter. So the guy's in the kitchen cooking for just dudes that are hungry. So hats off to AJ for his work at the firehouse. Thank you so much for your dedication, and thank you for cooking all through these uh, firefighters. Anyway, messaged out to him, and I said, hey, talk to me about liver, and here's what he wrote back. So I grew up hating liver. 
think liver and onions. Just hated that idea. When I attended a cooking demo with Chef April Bloomfield, I'd say seven or eight years ago, I had her chicken liver mousse on toast, and it blew my mind. Fast forward to 2016, I am a line cook in one of her restaurants and had to make this dish on a few occasions. We salted chicken livers with kosher and a touch of pink salt and then vac-sealed it, so it looks like they're going for a dry brine. After dry brining it, we cooked it hot and fast with shallots, garlic, uh, thyme, and a type of wine. Not sure what that type of wine is. Madaria? Man, I just slaughtered that. Anyway, I believe it's an Italian wine. Buzz it up in a food processor with cold butter and passed it through a chamois, which is a super fine strainer. I'm sure if you've got your regular strainer that you've got at home or if you have cheesecloth, that would be a great thing to put it through as well. This was then chilled and served with toast and various pickles. Man, that doesn't sound half bad. I mean, it sounds delicious. Let's get that first. I am eating that all over toast. But at the same time, like you think of pate, there's going to be a ton of steps on this. It looks like you just go for a dry brine in a vac bag. You could even use a Ziploc. Blitz it up in your food processor with a few herbs and some wine, and you got yourself a pate that you could serve on a really high elevated level. AJ, thank you so much for that. And folks, head on over to at Fork and Hose to find out more of his dishes as well. The last one is going to be kind of that idea of pate, basically we're now throwing pate inside of a sausage and going with a liverwurst or a liver sausage. The the German inside of me right now is jumping up and down because the Scotsman here is a little disappointed that we can't get any lungs for haggis. We'll have to find a haggis version uh, without lungs. But at the same time, the German side of me now is like, heck yeah, we're talking about liverwurst. Uh a guy that I keep mentioning a lot in a lot of a, a lot of this cooking when it comes to offal or when it comes to um, using every bit of that animal is the gentleman Scott Ree off the Scott Ree Project on YouTube. So I'll I'll make sure to put a link to him in there, and he does a dynamite uh, rendition of liver sausage. What I mean dynamite is I haven't tasted it, but at the same time he goes step by step on how to make this. And it is not labor-intensive. It's just like making a sausage. So if you're already got the skins out, you already got your uh, sausage sausage press ready to go, why not have a batch of this that you put off to the side? He had going into his, and he stuck with pork. Now, being hunters, we could do a combination of this. We could use... Uh, venison shoulder on this if we wanted to or we could use pork shoulder but anyway we need some fatty meat in there we can then also add bacon into that as well that's actually his recipe there is he added a load of bacon and then some some liver and from there he adds in his binding they refer they have theirs called a rusk over in england and we don't necessarily have rusk but we do have like basically panko breadcrumbs or being able to use cracker crumbs you anyway, you soak that in milk to let it get that uh, moisture in there. You mix the liver and the meat, mix that all up by hand, run it back through your grinder, and then you're able to press that out into casings. And he was left with, uh, what did he use? He didn't use, I think he used pork skins. So they were, you know, 
good bratwurst size. And from there, he was able to then slice that up, and he gave it a good sear on the, the skillet and pulled it off, and it looked dynamite. Of course, serve with a pickle, serve with mustard. That's going to be how that was. I think I think uh, liver really likes something strong along with it being strong itself. So you get your mustard, you get your horseradish. I tell you, that's just a day in heaven right there. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed this talk. I hope you enjoyed my long monologue that I've had about liver. And yeah, it may not be exciting, but I know in a couple days, or if you haven't already been exposed to having a liver yourself, give it a shot. Try out the liver and onions and maybe dress it up with a liver Diane. Really get fancy and maybe get your food processor out and jump into the pate. Or if you're really feeling frisky, see if you can't get some liver worsts. And make sure you tag me in it so I can show that off to the world as well. Because, folks, this whole idea of the fifth quarter and just being thankful for our harvest. As we are given these amazing pieces of meat and organs, we want to use it to the best of their ability. We want it to nourish us. And as much as we want to do it for the quote-unquote gram, we also want to do it for ourselves. And that we know that we can use these pieces and give as much honor and glory to that animal because it does deserve the respect because we put it down. So folks, as you head on out, uh, make sure you get that liver and make sure you either throw it through milk or uh, the brine. And when you're slicing it up, always make sure that your knife is sharp.